This time I invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Uh, The book of Hebrews is in the New Testament. It's alongside some other ones like the book of James um, and just past uh, Titus, where we were last week. Titus and then Philemon. If you find yourself in First or Second Peter, you've gone a little bit too far, but we'll find ourselves to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Now, just on some notes on this particular book, sometimes we know um, a whole lot about the author who wrote it and, and who they wrote it to. Uh, like, like last week, we were in the book of Titus, which was a letter from the Apostle Paul writing to Titus, this young pastor whom Paul was mentoring. Other times we know that a book was written uh, to the church. Um, For instance, Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. Hebrews is a little bit more of a mystery. There is plenty of debate, but not consensus, on who actually wrote it. We do know that from the flavor of the letter, it is written to uh, particularly to Jewish converts um, to Christianity. And so there's, there's... an understanding of the Old Testament that is trying to be conveyed here that you don't find maybe as strongly in some of the other books. And so you'll hear some language about the, the veil and the, and in the temple and the barrier to the Holy of Holies where God was. The presence of God, the closest that you could imagine being to God was in that space. We hear this language and this understanding and some correction of misunderstandings that were emerging in the early church. But we hear this with the understanding through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, is such a passage where there's some correction being offered, but also, I would say, profound encouragement, grace, and love, as known through God the Father Almighty through his Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit. And so will you pray with me as we ask for God's blessing upon the Word as we read Hebrews 10, 19-25, and as this week we move through our series from the Apostles' teaching to what is our fellowship all about. Let's pray together. Eternal God, in the reading of the Scriptures, may your Word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a very popular uh, teaching and small group series that many churches went through some 15 to 20 years ago uh, called Alpha. It was put on by an Anglican minister, Nicky Gumbel, um, was the primary teacher. And he walked through some basic questions of the Christian faith with both clarity and appropriate depth to um, teach those who already have grown up in faith and also to introduce to those who are further off. In addition to um, my appreciation for his accent, I will admit, I also just loved some of the quotes that I took away from the teaching videos. And one that always stood out to me was this. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. I I just think that's funny. Um, Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. I still find that both humorous and profoundly true today. And I also still find great and helpful truth in Hebrews chapter 10, where we're told to, to not give up the practice of meeting together. And how can we hold to both of these phrases, both the verse in Scripture and the humorous anecdote of a teacher, where they both can be understood for being true and helpful and beneficial to the understanding of the church and a life of faith. What does that look like to not give up the practice of meeting together in this season when we have been in and we're not fully out of yet, where the ways in which we are all meeting together as we're accustomed to have been different? For one, we have been together, even if not here even just a conversation this morning um, with some folks who tend to sit on the organ side remarkably in the same spot as normal, um, even with the pews working out differently. Good job, Browers. Um, We have been together. Um, We have been together even if not here. We've connected through phone, through through newsletters to those um, who are, are not on the computer spectrum quite yet. We've been able to broadcast. We've been able to share and study God's Word together. And it's been kind of fun for me to see where people have been watching from throughout this. And I'm curious this morning, who's maybe watching from where? Uh, What living room um, with your pets and coffee accompanying you? What campground or other vacation destination are we gathering together on this morning in our virtual age? Because in this technological age, there are a myriad of ways that we have managed to be together even when we haven't been gathered here. There's ways in which we fellowship even when distanced. And maybe because of that, though, we could ask the question, why? I mean, why would members of North Holland keep watching North Holland? 
Practically every church in the U.S. is online in some form or another. Why stick with your own church? You can choose your own preacher. You can customize your music taste. And all of this in your pajamas. Why only watch here? I'm not going to try to compete with celebrity preachers. Nor will our tech, though adequate and well-troubleshooted, minus getting it a little bit louder over here, um, we're not going to compete with megachurch budgets for what we do technologically. So why watch here? Not exclusively, but why watch here at all when you can get bigger and better fish to fry somewhere else? Well, for most of us, not all who are watching, but for most of us, it is safe to say that You've met me, and I've met you. We've been at some of the same weddings, some of the same funerals, many of the same community meals. We know each other. Not to sound creepy, but I know where you live. You all know where I live. And yet, there's something about that relationship that we know each other. We've walked different roads together. And you've walked it with pastors before me, and you'll walk it with pastors after me as well. I think it has been kind of fun to watch um, other churches throughout this season, people who are broadcasting. It has been a joy for me to listen to some of my colleagues that I have not heard them preach since we were third-year seminarians. It's been fun to see how different churches have handled this season. It's been helpful to learn from each other. So I'm not talking about North Holland Reformed Church being your exclusive church subscription. But that language might be exactly where we in the U.S. get it wrong about church time and again. Because church is not a subscription. It's not a subscription to religious goods and services. Even though that might be what we make it sometimes. The urging in Hebrews to not give up meeting together also should not be used to shame people around church attendance, even though it definitely has been used that way before. I would offer it's not about the church attendance, but it is in context, and we'll unfold this a little bit more, it is an urging to not give up being connected to one another. Not just teaching and music that we receive and consume, but where is the connection in our fellowship? As we consider those core aspects of the church, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, Hebrews would urge us to not give up being connected with one another. And and I mean that both in terms of how we're handling things now and that we don't use this verse as kind of the shame hammer for church attendance. And I say that because pay attention to what's on either side of that famous urging to not give up meeting together. Starting at verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. On either side of not giving up meeting together, we find spur one another on toward love and good deeds and encourage one another. We can do that in ways that we know each other. 
that our fellowship consists of relationships. Not every single person out of our 290-something people here with every single other person, and yet there should be some level of connection in our fellowship. People that not only know your name, but know the ways in which you need to be spurred on toward love and good deeds. The specific ways in your heart, in your life, in your current circumstances that we need to encourage one another. And, and what do we encourage each other with in this? What is the basis for the good of the good deeds that we spur each other towards? It is the goodness of God known to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our friend. There are all kinds of other gatherings and fellowship that we take part in and participate in. There are all kinds of ways in which people gather together in groups. So what makes Christian fellowship distinct? Why can we not give up on this connection where we do meet together? It is in the areas that we spur one another on toward love and good deeds as defined by Jesus, who defined loving the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And it is our capacity to encourage one another. Not just, hey, you're great, but to encourage one another in spirit, in faithfulness, and in Christ's love and compassion. If going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, then what does make you a Christian? In our text this morning, it is about drawing near to God. Drawing near to God because the, the price of admission to draw near to God has already been paid. That's why this, this text is dripping with Old Testament language. This sprinkling of blood, that's from the altar. That's, that's from where sacrifices were offered to atone for our sins that we could draw near to God. And now Hebrews says, in light of the gospel, we know that the price of admission to draw near to God, that price has already been paid, and this is good news because we could not pay it on our own. It is a freedom to approach God that we could not fight or win on our own efforts, volition, or righteousness. According to the apostles' teaching and in our fellowship, this is the essence of spurring one another on toward love and good deeds and encouraging one another so that we can draw near to God, that we cannot take for granted this access that we have to drawing near to God, drawing close to God, will slowly, joyfully, and painfully teach you how to be a faithful Christian. And that simply is not work that we can do alone. You notice that in this passage, if you pay attention to the pronouns, they're always plural. It is always the we and us language. This is not I and me language for how the church draws near to God. It is a collective effort that we encourage one another and spur one another on to draw near to God. This is work that is essentially done together. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened to us through the curtain, that is, Christ's body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us 
hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. It's consistent. This is work that we do together. And that that even distance and separation and smaller groups do not take us away from this good work of Christian fellowship. Because it is not a numeric measure of success. Sometimes that's what the church buys into, is that the success is numeric. But the true success, the win here, is in how well we draw near to God together and do we do that together. And the mind-blowing truth of all of this in Hebrews, that the people in, in the time that this letter was written and first read and circulated, what they were experiencing was a massive change in their thinking and understanding of what drawing near to God meant. As Pastor Audrey and I discussed this text earlier this week in preparation for today, we, she offered the fact that for most people hearing this, it would be, wow, I'm included in that? The most holy place in the temple? The sacred place? Normal people don't get to go in there. Now, everyone had to go to Jerusalem to go to the temple at some point. Make a pilgrimage. Go to the temple. There are psalms that are specifically written for you to sing as you go to Jerusalem. And you'd go there, go to the temple, offer your sacrifices, atone for your sins, pray. But to approach the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was, oh, none of us were getting there. None of us were going to get that close to God. None of us could draw quite that near because there is a reason that there is a veil in the temple. And now, through Christ's death and resurrection, when the veil was torn, our access to draw near to God has completely changed. No longer to buildings confining or tents, but here in this place, wherever you are. And that is meant to be paradox. Here in this place, wherever you are. Wherever you are. Wherever you are, that is the place where we can draw near to God. And if you think that the Jews were silly for focusing on the temple so much, for getting hung up on the Holy of Holies and the different courts, I'd remind you that we're not all that different. At times, we can develop what um, architects like to call an edifice complex about our own buildings. Drawing close to your favorite seat is insignificant compared to drawing close to Almighty God. So why meet together again? Why meet together again if we are able to draw near to God wherever we are and whenever we are? Why meet on Sunday morning when our faith needs to be a Monday through Saturday lifestyle? And it does. That's what the author of Hebrews is drawing attention to as inspired by the Holy Spirit to write to these early believers. Without the temple, they've lost this central focal point of their religious landscape. And many were just kind of going out on their own entirely. And when we go too far and too long on our own, we stray. We stray from the paths of righteousness We lose accountability. We get discouraged, as we all do, and we're no longer surrounded by those who will encourage us. We tend to want to take shortcuts on our own without accountability. We 
watered-down truth, we can lose sight of the bigger picture in favor of the smaller picture that we find more palatable. Gathering together in worship refreshes our soul. And we do need that. Even as an amateur or novice or low-stakes person on music, voices and worship refresh my soul. We appreciate that together. But also this meeting together is, is the refreshing part of worship, but not only that. Consider those smaller, more intimate relationships that you're a part of. Those smaller groups. Not cliques or exclusive clubs. Those are unholy and an offense to God's version of fellowship. But think about those whom you share a common purpose with for fellowship, for good deeds, and for encouragement. That takes on so many different forms. It might be a particular sense of mission that draws some people together, that spurs one another on toward the love and good deeds of making a huge mission trip work. It might be a country that, that captures one or two people's hearts, that they bring some others together that they spur one another on toward love and good deeds, encouraging one another to, to use what we have to make a difference somewhere else. I read a letter this week from a member now deceased who talked about how much it changed him to look the children in the eye in the places where he was. It might be the, the core collective groups that bring us together that want to teach our children the stories of the Bible and to teach them how to worship in a way that they can understand and grow into. So whether it be mission action, or the work trip that you go on, or, or children in worship, or the program that you participate in, find that purpose and common good. There is also just the core group of people who, in fellowship with one another, try to make our grounds beautiful so that it's a welcoming and hospitable place. And I won't name them by name today because I'd get in trouble with them. But consider just how much of a difference things can make when people draw together because they didn't give up meeting together as some were in the habit of doing, but found a common purpose. Encouraging one another toward love and good deeds, certainly. And in so doing, finding a way to contribute and to glorify God. I would ask this as a homework question. So if you're a note taker on your phone or on paper, consider this. Are there five people that you can think of that you share some common purpose with here at North Holland? And if not, it might be the opportunity to think about what would I want to join into? Not just for what we give, because we are a very service-oriented church. We, we know that. Our volunteer hours would tell us that. But who are the people that I want to work with and around? What's the purpose that draws me? Because you might make some friends along the way. And that's good and enjoyable. You might find out that that person that sits five pews away from you, or six right now, might be more in common with you than what you thought. And these are the people we get to know best that encourage us most directly, 
that spur us on together most accurately and willfully. But the friendships are really just a byproduct because the real focus is how we spur one another on, how we live life together, and that we encourage one another. So no matter what Sunday mornings look like, no matter how much our routines might get thrown off or schedules may fill up, don't give up. Don't give up on meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, on being connected with one another. Don't turn away from those who encourage you or whom you encourage. Don't give up on those shared common purposes with people that you can spur one another on and encourage each other in faithfulness. If you don't have it, take a step to find it, which might be starting with a simple question or an ask to see and feel out if we're welcome or not. And if you do have it, don't give up on it and invite others in to what you have. Friends, our fellowship, our ability to gather together, to live life together, even as we can watch anything we want to, as we can tune into any service we want to, as we live life together, don't give up on that, as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together for the needs of our church and for our world. God, we come to you on this holiday weekend, offering our prayers before you, knowing that we join together with the church worldwide. God, as we come to you this morning, we do give you thanks for the independence that we celebrate in our nation, for life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, such familiar words. And Lord, this day we pray for those who are struggling to find life, for those who are fighting for their lives, whether through disease or ailment, whether through poverty or strife, for those who are fighting for their life, we offer them to you, O God. Lord, for those who are struggling to find liberty, to find freedom, whether it be freedom to succeed, whether it be freedom to move forward in life, whether it be freedom from disease, whether it be freedom to freedom from, sorry, freedom from anxiety or depression or from hurt. Whether it be freedom from addiction or freedom from shame or freedom from toxic relationships that are bringing people down. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling for their liberty in mind or body. Lord, we pray for those whose pursuit of happiness has been thrown off, for loss of jobs, for loss of business, for relationships that were life-giving that evaporated before us, for those whose pursuit of happiness has had a wrench thrown into it. God, we lift them before you, whatever their pursuit was and however it has been marred 
God in this. Help us to turn towards you that even when we do not know how it will turn out, we trust you as the author of our story and we trust that your purposes for us are good. And so may we trust that your next chapter for us will not be without challenge, but that it will be full of goodness as you define goodness in your word, O God. And so, Lord, for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we also give you thanks. We give you thanks for those who can live life abundantly. And may abundance be used to share with those around us. Lord, for those who live in freedom, in flexibility and social mobility, we give you thanks. And may whatever blessing and privilege you have given us, may it be used wisely to see those around us who do not share the same amount or degree of freedom that we experience and enjoy. And for that pursuit of happiness, Lord, we give you thanks for for tasks that feel good, for pursuits that are life-giving. And in all of this, O God, may our joy not become self-centered, narcissistic, or turned in as a means to an end of itself, but may our pursuit of happiness lead us towards you, towards your purposes, that we may find fulfillment, not in what we do for ourselves, but what we do with all of our might as to the glory of God, that we may work not as if we are working for earthly overseers, but that everything we do is for your glory. Lord, for the freedom that we have, through your Holy Spirit, through the freedom that we have to draw near to you, O God. Help us to use that freedom well. And particularly, help us to use that freedom to draw near to you as a means of invitation to bring someone else along with us on that journey to drawing near to you, both now and forever, until Christ returns or calls us home. Amen.